compassion is from the Latin to suffer with someone, to enter into their struggle with them. Sometimes the, the danger is you want to say something profound to somebody who's suffering. I don't want to hear anything profound when I'm suffering. I want relief. And so the temptation is to say something when we should just be quiet and sit in their presence and sort of just allow the, the company between us to, to soothe as much as it can. This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Now, here's Pastor Rick with a brand new study called Our High Priest Forever in Hebrews chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in all things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As we are here this morning, think of how many people on the earth are missing out. On God's word, or missing out on the things that we have just read and so many other things that other pastors in pulpits are reading this morning to their congregations. Likewise, may we not ever lose our sense of burden for lost souls. Well, we turn right to the first verse and we reread for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that He may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Well, before Christ, 
the high priest in Israel amongst the Hebrews. He was the leader, the spiritual leader of the nation among men, but he was chosen by God, where it says again, verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men. God harvested his spiritual leaders from the flock of the Levites and then the children of Aaron, according to the Jewish law. But in the church, he still harvests his spiritual leaders from the flock among men, among sinners, and that would be the pastors. He continues, is appointed for men in all things pertaining to God. That appointed means he's ordained. Ordination is something that uh, men do not do, but men recognize has been done. God is the one that sets aside the ones that will be his leaders in the flock, and the flock recognizes it. There are certainly features that would disqualify a man from being ordained, a man that uh, had criminal qualities, for example. Uh, there are other things. Uh, immorality, of course, would be a indication that God has not called a person to uh, enter the pulpit. You, you know, you would think that that would be common sense, but uh, unfortunately it is not. Many, many um, unscrupulous individuals have sought and gained the position of pastor over the centuries, but the righteous are able to discern. They're able to pick them out and say, this man's not preaching the word of God. He certainly is or is not listening to God and living the word. So this is serious stuff. We're kind of passing over it because we've covered it so often, but scripture does warn against self-appointed leadership. It was not to be the case in Israel. It was not the case with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Of course, amongst the Godhead, it was already foreordained from the foundations of the world. But the writer is telling his audience that God has everything in control. He knows exactly what he is doing. He is precise in this. And when he singled out the one whom we know as Jesus to be Messiah, it was something that it was it's something for the people to submit to and not resist. He has total authority. And again, they were in this position, these Hebrews, of drifting away from the faith, of forfeiting salvation that Christ offers because they wanted to go back to Judaism. Or at least they were flirting with the idea. And he's as you when we stood and read the word moments ago. We got to the end where there's this abrupt rebuke that he launches on them, and we'll get to that momentarily. And so this priestly authority from God. Now, there are examples in scriptures of those who have overstepped, who've gone beyond the boundaries set by the Lord when it comes to ministry. They have taken it upon themselves to take what God has appointed to others and again, direct, redirecting it to themselves. The first one would be Korah. Korah was a Levite, and he was quite irritated that God had singled out Moses and Aaron to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And in so doing, he lost his life. God struck him dead. And not only him, all those who sided with him. He was not alone. The ground opened up and swallowed them up. Saul, King Saul, Israel's first king, consummate self-impressed, selfish, homicidal individual that he was. 
He attempted to invade the priesthood also, not willing to wait for Samuel, the man of God. And in so doing, doing Saul lost his kingdom. God told him through, the, through Samuel the prophet, as Samuel was walking away, irritated by Saul. Saul grabs his garment and it tears and the prophet turns and says, God will rip the kingdom from you also. And that is what happened. And of course, David was his replacement. We all should have a fear of being replaced. We're all disposable, expendable. But to be replaced by God, I'm not talking when we've served our time and or something has happened to health issues or something that has redirected our energies. I mean, as a rebuke, we should all have that fear. Um, I don't want to fail in my ministry so that God would have to raise up someone to fill my spot. That would be shameful. And so these lessons are beneficial. They're not something to panic in the face of, but they are lessons to embrace. Then there was King Uzziah. He was a good king. Compared to so many of the others, of course, he was exceptional. But it went to his head. And he decided that he, too, would overrun the priesthood. He didn't lose his life. He didn't lose his kingdom, but he lost his health. God smote him with leprosy on the spot. So we have this message from Scripture saying, know your boundaries. Self-appointed leadership is not leadership. Leaders have to learn to be led. And it, it should not really go to their head because they should be so preoccupied with other business, they won't have time to let it go to their head. Too busy trying to stay a step ahead of themselves. He mentions here that these leaders are appointed in matters pertaining to God, not self-help, not pampering, not harboring sin, not reducing or withholding what God has said. Through his word, he is to deal with things pertaining to God. And that would be the ones that God loves. And who would that be? That would be sinners. Sinners are, we sinners are damaged. We're defective. God has made a way to embrace us nonetheless. But there is a system involved. There are other things that must be taken care of to get here. He continues in verse 1 that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The priest was to represent sinners, which he was one of, to God. And it is a high and holy position to have. It was a role made in heaven to address sin on earth. And so verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and, and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Well, he knows firsthand what it's like when someone says, listen, I struggle with this thing. Well, the the priest could say, well, I've got mine too. I understand that. It doesn't make it acceptable, permissible, but it certainly does shave off the arrogance and self-righteousness that would interfere with making us strong, making each other strong. You know, robots, you, you give man enough time, they'll, they'll create artificial life to, to, to be in our pulpits, and people will like it. Oh, he was so gentle and kind and compassionate. He's a fraud. He's fake. He's artificial. You need it from a sinner, not from something that came out of a box. And so 
this is serious business. Now, it's also a little tricky because some folks have a way of dictating to other folks how they need to be compassionate. <laughs> and that's really not, um, not for us to do. Everybody handles things different. But that compassion, compassion is from the Latin to suffer with someone, to enter into their struggle with them. And sometimes the, the danger is you want to say something profound to somebody who's suffering. I don't want to hear anything profound when I'm suffering. I want relief. And so the temptation is to say something when we should just be quiet and sit in their presence and sort of just allow the, the company between us to, to soothe as much as it can. Job, Job, when his friends showed up, the best thing they did was sit before him silent for seven days. Then they blew it. They opened their mouths and they began to attack Job. Uh, you must really be messed up before God to suffer like this. We've been looking at you and, yeesh, what is wrong with you? That's not how you handle it. That's not compassion. And so he's saying he, the, the priest, the leaders, the spiritual leaders are to be compassionate. Now, oftentimes, you know, the, the flock does not know how much the pastor is praying for them, is taking their name and their situation before the Lord. They want him to show up with flowers and chocolates, I guess. And, and if he doesn't do that, he doesn't follow the script, he doesn't care. Well, that, don't, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that at all. Well, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Well, ignorance is not an asset when it comes to things about God, and that's what it's pertaining to, things about God. There are many people that claim that I love the Lord, but they're completely ignorant about what God wants from them and really don't seem to be too interested in finding out. Perhaps they are afraid that they're going to have to sacrifice something. To uh, the cross speaks of sacrifice. It not, should be not, not be something foreign to us. But uh, there are those that are ignorant. Now, there are those that are ignorant and indecent, indignant at the same time. That should never be. I, I, but it is. In, in the church and amongst Christians, they don't know what they're talking about. That doesn't stop them from talking about what they don't know and being quite nasty in the process. But then there are those that are ignorant in the sense they don't, don't know, and they're not, they don't have the, this foul attitude. They're, they're willing to be pliable in the presence of God's word. They will submit to the authority of Scripture. So it's up to each individual to figure out how they're going to handle this. Now, when he says there are those that are going astray, they know better. And, well, ignorance can lead you astray, too. Don't want to rule that out. But then there's another group that just is going astray. They're not ignorant. They're willful. Peter was warned by Christ that there would be a lot of work in working with his people. So he says in John's gospel, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Keep a watch on them. Work with them. Make them strong. Don't starve them. Don't abandon them. The words feed and tend, they are critical to the words of Christ. Paul put it this way. All Scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for doctrine, that is right thinking, for reproof, 
that is the correction of wrong thinking, for the instruction in righteousness. That is how to not get in trouble, to stay out of trouble. For correction, for those who have gone into trouble. For reproof, oh, I forgot that one. That is going up to the one that you know is wrong and saying, hey, this has got to be dealt with. It will not be excused. We're willing to work with you, but you've got to fix it. And then he goes on to say that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped who wants to not be ready, who wants to not have the right gear, or then just be negligent. Well, this was happening to these, these Christians. They'd been Christians a long time. I should add that. We're going to come to that. If I ever get off the second verse, we'll, we'll come to it. He says, since he himself also is also subject to weakness, everyone, everyone who is a sinner has reason to be gentle with one who is a, who, with another one who is a sinner, and that is where he is going with that. That uh, he is to have compassion, since he too has this weakness of the flesh called sin. Verse three: Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. So the writer is just bringing everything into view in front of his audience. He is saying, we're sinners. We have spiritual leaders to deal with this sin for the leaders and ourselves. Never trivialize that. It's amazing as much attention as Scripture gives to dealing with sin. How many churches give energy into ignoring it? Thank God. Thank you, Lord, that that's not nearly, well, I don't know how many there are, but I know there are many that, that do the right thing. But I also know there's an ever-increasing number of churches and people who call themselves Christians that just don't want to hear it, don't want to deal with it. But that's contrary to Scripture, and that's why we're going through it, to expose us to as much of the Scripture as we can be exposed to. And so again, verse 3, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself. He is not above sin, to offer sacrifices for sins. No approach to God without dealing with sin. If you, if you are in sin and you just are not even going to deal with it, not going to bring it up to God, do you expect he's going to listen to you? That has to be dealt with. I'm not saying it, it's going to be defeated, but I am saying it has to be def- dealt with. In this life, whatever you struggle with in the way of sin, there's a good possibility will take you, will go with you all the way to your grave. But you'll be fighting it every step of the way in your heart, in your spirit. And that's what separates the saints from the ain'ts. Verse 4, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. Well, it's the honor of dealing with the sin on behalf of the people. No man takes this honor of being the high priest or a spiritual leader, as the case may be today, on themselves. This is a God-appointed position. Verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, Aaron's appointment to high priest was by God, so is Christ. If the Son of God subjects himself to this system, then we better do it too, which is part of the message. We have this pattern. Where he says, Today I have begotten you, he's quoting Psalm 2. This is the second time he's quoted This verse in Hebrews 1, he also quotes Psalm 2, verse 7. 
Now it does have to do, the only begotten Son means the, 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 the deity become uh, taking on humanity. The Son of God being born of a virgin and walking amongst us and, and going through this life with us. It, this Psalm 2 verse 7 has that meaning in it, but it goes further than that. It goes all the way to the resurrection. And we know that because in the book of Acts, the apostles apply it that way. In Acts 13, verse 33 and 34, he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. Jesus will not suffer and die again. We'll get a lot of that at the end of Hebrews, which is contrary to, to some that uh, behave as though it's not in the Scripture. Well, anyway, that's verse 5, that Christ sub- uh, submitted to the processes of the Godhead. Verse 6, and he who says, he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, now it's heating up. Now he's quoting Psalm 110. And, you know, Jesus, there were three, uh, four witnesses to Christ being the Messiah. There was John the Baptist. There was the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture. Uh, I mean, the, he fulfilled the, the prophecies pointing to him as the son of David and entering in this ministry. There were the miracles that he did accompanied by the teachings, his teachings. And then finally, there was the father. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And so the, all of this uh, uh, Christianity that we embrace is, is mapped out for us by God. We haven't stumbled into it. It is not something that we are chiseling to perfection. It is something that is handed to us through God's word. And so he's quoting the Old Testament, pointing the Jews back to their authority, which they would, you would think, submit to. You would think they would say, oh, that's right. This is in Scripture, and we obey Scripture. And you've pointed it out, and there is no way to refute what you've said. We're going to stop this nonsense of trying to go back to Judaism or blend it with Christianity to somehow make Christianity better. We're going to abandon that, and we're going to build up in the faith. Well, maybe they did come to that conclusion. The writer doesn't know at what point they will or will not, but he is not going to take any chances, and so he is going to slaughter any thoughts against Christ throughout this this Hebrew letter slash thesis. He says, you are a priest forever. That cannot be said about any other, certainly none in the Levitical line. Now, as I've been speaking, some of you who are very familiar with the word, you're up on that. When I say Levitical, you know what I'm talking about. When I mention the Aaronic line, you know the line of Aaron that could be priest in the priesthood. Others of you may say, huh, I don't have it. But you get, you get enough of it. And another thing you may get out of it is you may have to study some more. Paul said to Timothy, be diligent. Study to show yourself approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, Timothy was a pastor, but those words are for all Christians, not just for the pastor. Well, you are a priest forever. Again, a distinction that is forever significant. 
It's, it, it singles out Christ. It makes him exclusive, superior to everyone else. No one is a priest forever except Christ. Even we, we're a part of a royal priesthood. We serve a priest who is a king, Jesus Christ. But our priesthood ends when we leave this world. But he represents us forever. Now, he mentions this order of Melchizedek. This is the first, well, let me go do it this way. The priesthood gets its first mention in the scripture, not on the Levitical line, the line of Aaron and his descendants, according to the Mosaic law, but Melchizedek, a Gentile. He is the first one that is associated with the priesthood, directly so, as priest, this order of Melchizedek. You've been listening to Cross Reference Radio, the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel in Mechanicsville, Virginia. As we mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, today's teaching is available free of charge at our website. Simply log on to crossreferenceradio.com. That's crossreferenceradio.com. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to the Cross Reference Radio podcast. Subscribing ensures that you stay current with all the latest teachings from Pastor Rick. You can subscribe at crossreferenceradio.com or simply search for Cross Reference Radio in your favorite podcast app. Tune in next time as Pastor Rick continues teaching through the book of Hebrews right here on Cross Reference Radio. Thank you.